this is really interesting because I see people on Twitter so often complaining about like, like, I don't know how to break into the you know Web3 space as a you know non-developer, non-technical, whatever. And this is literally like a play-by-play of exactly what you have to do. And this is very similar to what I did too, as a non, non-developer, non-technical person. You literally just have to do it and do whatever you can. And I think Peter is a perfect example of that. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Time Will Be Different. I'm your host, Reza Joffrey, and today I have a very special guest, uh, Peter Pan. Peter, welcome. What's up? Not too much. How are you doing today? You know, it's, it's okay. You know, it's a Monday. It's a uh, uh, same shit, different day. Yeah, cheers to that, my friend. Cheers to yeah. that. Well, Peter, for anyone who may not be familiar with you, how would you introduce yourself? I browse the internet for a living, basically, like... People can get like really high and mighty in like Web3, but honestly, I just browse the internet and I try to like find cool shit people like building, you know, and I try to understand it. I try to understand where things are going. And yeah, I sort of have this privilege of just learning from everyone else who are, in my opinion, generally like a lot more interesting. That's that's me in a nutshell. But, you know, obviously, like I, um, I'm a partner at 1KX, um, we're a Web3 venture fund, of course been around for a while yeah we, we really try to like go pretty deeply into the markets yeah like we try to you know when we support teams in our portfolio we try to do it uh from a place of like we try to do it as if we're like building alongside the founders right so we want to like we want to be able to solve problems that founders are solving day-to-day if not strategically on a longer time scale right as well you know i think like most investors from what i've seen like you know traditionally and even just in web3 in general is that great you write the check you kind of like stay up to date, but you're kind of out of the loop. You don't really get the market. You kind of get it, but you're not thinking about it too much. And you're, you're context switching whenever you walk with a team. Uh, for us, we try to stay in the loop of what they're building, where things are going in general, and support the team day to day with engineering, legal, institutional access to product design. I mean, or product strategy and design sort of in general and go to market, everything uh, related to that, as well as, you know, sort of long-term uh, strategy as well. Uh, business models, fundraising, everything in between. But I think that's what really differentiates us. It's like, as 1KX, like we try to do it as, you know, fr- from a place where we have, like, we can actually help teams as opposed to like calling up a founder and being like, hey, you know, like shows attraction, like what's up, you know, like you need, do you need uh, BD intros? Do you need... Like, yeah, I think it's like we, we try to already understand what teams need and just, just try to like proactively sort of uh, execute on it, right? That's something we really care about at the fund. You also differentiate yourselves by having the best merch in the crypto game. I, I straight up, I wear my 1KX hoodie several times a week. And then you, Peter also does, uh, or you did MCON. I'm not sure if you're still doing it. You did do not MCON, right? Yeah, I did. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, there's like a whole group of others like actually running the thing. I just curated who could come. Ah, the gatekeeper. Is, yes. <laughs> I, I was just like the bouncer, right? So all the actual hard work of all running it, that's Yela, that's like the Medicarts all crew. I, I just like gay kept uh, <laughs> the thing. And then, you know, like and we're not doing it this year, but uh, maybe the next, right? Yeah, it was my favorite crypto event that I've been to. It was the first non-suit crypto event i think that i went to where Mm. i was like oh there are events like this (laughs) like it was it was so intimate and like actually getting to sit down and talk with other people building in the space and not just like the 
the people at the conference stands that get sent there to chill things. It was it was really refreshing. Yeah, that was a big focus of mine. I was like, I, I reviewed about like 1,600, 1,500 applications for the MCON 2 last year, like individually, where like they write about themselves, people write about themselves, profiles. I, I dug through like the, everyone's LinkedIn's, like, you know, websites, Twitter's, looked at, you know, what they wrote. And it's like, uh, I was like aggressively trying to weed out BD people. who was just <laughs> trying to sell stuff. That's like, did you hate that? Like, that's the thing I hate most. It's like, I, you should walk up at a conference, you hit a one, you need to meet like relevant people and you just have like these BD people there trying to sell you shit. And yeah. it's like, and, and you know, you kind of like have this, have to do this common courtesy thing where you have to like entertain the conversation. Like, oh, how are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, then like half an hour is gone. Yeah. And, and then you're just trying to get rid of, you just kind of get rid of it. Like, I'm sure everyone's come across this point at some point. I just, I just wanted at least empire to like have no, like to limit that sort of behavior, make it sort of like, you know, a space we can like kind of have like common interests, uh, which is like everyone kind of worked at DAOs or, or involved in one or coordinating one. And I think when environments like that are like, you know, surface, you, you generally have like better conversations, deep conversations, because it's like this, even if you don't notice it, like a deep implied sense of trust. And uh, yeah, so that was a lot of the uh, curation work. Well, you did a great job. Except you let me Thanks. in, and I'm one of those BD assholes. Oh, so. shit. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, the right ones, right? You know, but yeah. <laughs> Need a couple. Need a couple to keep the wheels going. Uh, I want to learn more about your origin story. So I've known Peter now for, I think, two, two and a half years or so. And we met through Amin uh, playing video games during the pandemic. <laughs> Peter Peter taught me how to League of Legends a little bit. It was, it was a beautiful moment. Um, but so basically, it seems like you've got an interesting history in the industry. And I'm kind of, I just want to learn about it. So how'd you get into crypto? How did this all start? Take me through your, your journey. Honestly, like, you know, I, I read about sort of, you know, crypto like everyone else, sort of through the news, just like from different people, from my brother. This was like, you know, early 17. I, I'd actually like played around with crypto back in 2013. Like I was like collecting like little like crumbs of Bitcoin from Bitcoin faucets because it just did a capture. <laughs> like, it's like, cool. Oh shit. This is, this is cool. Right. Um, you know, never really transpired into anything. What you know, and it, like once I discovered it, like, oh great, there are more digital currencies. Started diving in more. Did like kind of a very like scrub thing, which is like I went to like I opened up, I went to like CoinGecko, and I like opened up like the top hundred coins. I like read all the white papers <laughs> and like looked through like all the like websites, and I'm like, oh shit, like this is interesting. I'm gonna like buy one of everything. <laughs> like a single and coin then, yeah and i was like i i want like you know i i'm like this is cool this is fun whatever and like you know like that's how i like spent a thousand dollars uh on just for fun right it was like yeah like I, I didn't really think too much of it until i started uh you know like attending like uh developer workshops for crypto uh in sydney this i was like based there and it was run by this guy called uh, uh, uh bucky booba so he is like the the godfather or creator of like the crypto scene in like Australia, arguably. Um, he was like a super early like Ethereum dev, um, but mostly security auditor. He um, was like an early auditor of like early like Maker 1.0 or some of the contracts back then. He was uh, a pretty played a pretty good role in the DAO hack 
and fund recovery. Was he the hacker and, himself? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Uh, probably not. You know, uh, but he was on the other side of it. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, you know, like, and then I remember the first sort of like workshop he like I went to. He was sort of like spun up this like light node, and it just started like sinking blocks. And I was like, oh shit, this is and you know this is like pretty exciting. I like I never really looked deeper into the technology, and he brought explained Ethereum as a global commuting network and explained what it did and uh, showed us like, you know, or showed me sort of how the EVM worked and everyone got to deploy their own ERC-20 contracts on a testnet, you know, just to, you know, play around. And and I think like since then, I kind of got sucked down the rabbit hole and he basically ran like uh, four or five or six workshops a week even, like all two to four hours long each, you know, some for beginners, some for advanced, just teaching people like Ethereum development. And that was sort of my genesis and how I really came down the rabbit hole. It was just like through these like meetups that ran throughout 2017 and uh, onwards. What did you study? Are you a technical person? I didn't go to university. I love it. That's what I like to hear. I, I went to one day of computer science and I kind of said, fuck this. Yes. But what did you self-study? I mean, are what do you what would you say are your talents? I guess not talents. That's a no, funny I'm, thing to say. I'm really good at much. That's the thing, you know. So I was like, I guess I'm really good at browsing the internet. That's something I like. I kind of grew up on the internet, you know. Like I played a lot of video games. I grew up on forums. I built communities. Uh, like, you know, like uh, as a teenager, I was like building communities. I was running YouTube channels. I was like learning how, like, at, you know advertising networks work by like trying to <laughs> game the system. I, you know, like did, I ran like affiliate marketing sites that sold products randomly and sell a lot marketing, you know, it was just like trying to make a couple bucks here and there, you know, through affiliate marketing programs. And like, I was like on weird forums, like revenue forums or et cetera, like or just like forums that were like about uh, building businesses or like making money online, learning through that, learn like product design, like just from scratch watching YouTube videos and like downloading like templates, like recreating works, spent a lot of time on Dribble, Behance, stuff like this. So like I, I, over time, like, you know, built, like learn how to, I think like the fundamentals of like, okay, how do you like get people together online? How do you, you know, design products that people could use, right? Visual design, graphic design, motion design, like UI design, product design, and then eventually like started working with different teams and learning like a bit more about product design, like product management itself. Um, went down the whole startup rabbit hole, like read like the, you know, like, uh, religiously, like, you know, consumed like content and podcasts and written like content, like written materials on like, just how do you build world-class products? Uh, like, do you know, uh, Intercom, like they have this amazing podcast series with like several hundred episodes by now, but like, I listened to like all up to like three, 300 episodes. Two, three hundred episodes. I listened to every one of them. They're all like Damn. one to two hours long. It's like yeah, just like consume content. Like I'm, I, I would say that's like my main talent. It's like browse the internet, consuming content, and just like you know figuring out how like things work and you know um, and so and synthesizing. And, uh, yeah, it. you're very good at yeah, writing yeah. too. Uh, I Thank love you. the blogs you've been putting out, and it's like you take these very sort of like nebulous, amorphous ideas, and you put them into a structured blog post. I was actually reading a couple of them before this, trying to come up with some genius questions, but. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, um, you know, when I first entered crypto, when I like started going down the technology rabbit hole, 
And I went through all these white papers, all these projects. To be frank, I didn't understand anything. I was like, this seems like this seems this seems to be a lot of attention, a lot of excitement, but like I don't actually understand any of it. Uh, like you know, really, I was reading words, but they didn't make sense. You know, then you like you leave yeah. with a, like a, a one like a tenth understanding, which is probably wrong anyways. Like you could repeat so I, the definition, but you couldn't explain yeah, no. it. So that's when I started to like, you know, I didn't really have a computing background. So that's when I started to like, just understand, like, okay, kind of like dissect, like, what are blockchains? Okay, like blockchains are like global computing network. What are, what is a computer network? What is a network itself? Like, what are the, com- what are computers like physically? What are they made out of? What is the history of computing? Uh, like computers themselves, you know, like, uh, what, uh, how do you transfer data across the internet? When did that start? You know, uh, all these things like down to like what is uh how, you know like to securing information of numbers it's like and then you go into cryptography right it's like uh what is cryptography it's like you're using um, a set of numbers and the inherent properties to secure information and i was going through like you know computer science <laughs> sort of syllabus for like okay uh and and you know ironically enough and just going through like the textbooks that they would like you know um, give the students that like do some exercises, like read through them really quickly, just get a sense of like all the different layers of abstraction. And when I started studying cryptography spe- specifically and, you know, tracking down the history of cryptography itself back into, you know, like obviously 1930s, like just information for like Claude Shannon all the way to like re- the really the next big milestone, which is like public key cryptography with uh, Merkel, Diffie, Hellman, like that's when I started tracing, like studying cryptographers in which I realized they had really deep intimate ties and links to blockchains today. And that's where, you know, I think like I spent a lot of time as well. So like, I, I, I didn't really understand like, you know, in net, like coming out of it, like, you know, like to uh, the, the technical aspects of computer science, like, and I guess like I didn't understand computer science itself from a technical perspective. Um, but I understood it like contextually and it helped me like navigate really a lot of web free today still. And at least, you know, I think like I understood like, okay, this is what happened in the past. And this is why, you know, blockchains and web free uh, is so important actually. Uh, and, and so like, that's a lot of like the, <laughs> the self digging, you know, yeah. the scrummaging online that I did. Right. So uh, yeah. So you, you learn about, blockchain web three in sydney what year is this they said like 2016 or when you started to get more into it this is late 17 mid to late 17 late 17 so how did you go from there to living in the spank house in venice Hmm. what were you doing (laughs) yeah honestly uh well i was just like trying to figure out how to contribute to the space So, so like once around you know like it took me a while from like late 17 to like first quarter of 2018 to just like study the space a bit right like i and this was like full-time if not more like as in when i say full-time i was like this is the only thing i did or thought about yeah <laughs> you know like my uh i was so into the stuff i you know my girlfriend left me at that time <laughs> <laughs> you know like priorities I just, like, yeah I, I just like was yeah, that's another story. But um, yeah, it was like 
really into it. My parents and family members were getting slightly concerned. I like dropped everything else. This is all I cared about. And I think once I like really, you know, contextually realized this was like really important and I wanted to really dedicate a lot of time into it, I just started looking for opportunities to contribute. So again, back then it's like, you couldn't really contribute too much. There weren't end user products. There weren't end, you know, there weren't any users. There's all infrastructure, white papers and tokens. And so I started just like doing random things such as like mastering Ethereum. I was like, I went to mastering, mastering uh, Ethereum, like the book. And that time it was still like in editing mode. I went to, I, I took all the content and ran it for Grammarly. And that was like my contribution to it. <laughs> I went to like Bitcoin's Wikipedia page, Ethereum's Wikipedia page, different Wikipedia pages, crypto projects and like edited them. Like remove the shill content, like added like factual information, like added a bit more like, you know, uh, more reference points back to cryptography itself. Just try to clean things up, right? Um, and contributed to like documentation for Stamos or like, you know, Aragon projects back then that were around. And just honestly, like at that, like, you know, going into like more into 2018, I was like starting to panhandle a little bit in the crypto community. I was like, just looking for bounties to do, like, my savings had sort of dried out as well. Like I, I had a lot of it in like, you know, I, I, in, in, in a thousand shit coins. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, mostly, <laughs> yeah, but they went to like, that basically evaporated. So it's like, okay, I gotta, I gotta figure out how to make a living here. Contributed to a project um, part-time, but didn't really like it. Uh, like, like the team, the ethos of the team. It, it's sort of kind of like realizing. And then, but I, you know, like, realizing I was just like trying to understand the taste of what I wanted to do. Right. And, um, but that specific project that like led me to that, um, like the, the project I was contributing to part-time led me to this idea known as meta transactions in New York's infrastructure. Uh, and, and the, you know, this was like really popularized by Alex Van Sen in early 2018. And, and sort of like the narrative back then was like, if we sold UX, we will get mass adoption. Like, boom, it's that easy. So like kind of, the narrative kind of struck my ego coming from like a design uh, background a little bit. And I was like, all right, yeah, like, cool. This is like how I can be useful. Like <laughs> it's my time. <laughs> yeah. It's my time. And then they're like, you know, other designers at the time were like, oh shit. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's create mass adoption. You know? Um, and you know, uh, this led me to uh, the group and that area of uh, area of design. And we ended up creating a group uh, like a, a working group focused purely on uh, meta transactions or what people know as AA, account abstraction nowadays. I thought you meant Alcoholics <laughs> Anonymous, but. <laughs> okay. uh, you know, we, same. Uh, it's an AA meeting, and then shortly after, you have your web free, you know, like um, working group discussions. Of course, uh, of course. Yeah, but uh, yeah. That led me to that and it helped sort of coordinate it, form it. It was really like just a working group, but then it took on an identity. People called it the Metacartel as a name. People voted for it. Uh, a dance in Chile came out of the, you know, like East San Francisco hackathon back in uh, October 2018. And yeah, it, it just like was a, I, I was just trying to be useful, honestly, at that point. I, you know, I was trying to find a job in space. I was just trying to be useful, trying to find a place. I knew that like, people needed to work on this. So I just did the grunt work of getting people together online in person. I wrote the minutes. 
I wrote the agenda items. I made sure people attended meetings. Like funny story, like Ad- Alex Vanessan needed to be at one of these meetings um, uh, because we were talking about like some sort of like contract standardization and I couldn't reach him. It was like a day or two before the meeting. And I, so I just went to his GitHub and I like created an issue. Like <laughs> I just like, my, my, what I did was just like annoy people. So they would come to places, you know, and yeah. it was a lot of that. And yeah, at the time I applied to sort of like every job that was non-technical in crypto under the sun from like social media manager to um, technical documentation writer to product managers, head of comms, whatever. Honestly, I didn't care. I just wanted to like, like be like in Web3. I just wanted to like contribute to it. Like, yeah. And be part of the journey. Real quick. So it's like, this is really, really interesting to me for one, (laughs) because I didn't realize how similar we were. We have very, very similar stories and we took very similar approaches until like, okay, how do I get into this industry? And two, this is really interesting because I see people on Twitter so often complaining about like, like, I don't know how to break into the you know Web3 space as a you know non-developer, non-technical, whatever. And this is literally like a play-by-play of exactly what you have to do. And this is very similar to what I did too, as a non- non-developer, non-technical person. You literally just have to do it. and do whatever you can. And I think Peter is a perfect example of that. A quick word from our sponsors. This time will be different is sponsored by 1000X, the first loyalty program for DGENs. 1000X is for everyone who loves sports betting, gambling, fantasy sports, meme stocks, and all forms of financial entertainment. Join now to gain discounts and preferred rates at 1000X partners such as PokerGo, Stake.com, Action Network, Rotowire, and more. You also gain free entry to compete in members-only tournaments with boosted prize pots and access exclusive P2E experiences. Visit decrypt.co slash 1000x today to join the community. That's decrypt.co slash 1000x. You know, like, I consider you, I, I don't know if you consider yourself a success, but I personally consider you pretty successful. And like, you got in doing meeting notes and agendas and annoying people. And that's, that's awesome to hear. It's a walk in progress. I, I, I consider, <laughs> you know, like, um, yeah, I mean, people complain about how hard it, it, it's hot. Like, don't, I definitely agree. Like, I empathize. It's like, I definitely, like, you know, it, it, it was, uh, I was definitely white-knuckling <laughs> for, for a long time. Like, it, don't get me wrong, it sucks. Like, but also, like, it's kind of worth it, you know? Like, um, but yeah, I, I, you know, that was that was basically Medicartel. And I honestly, the funny story about Medicartel is, like, I actually didn't intend it to be a long-lasting community. It was a UX working group. And then we finish all the collaboration, collaborative stuff in 2018, early 19. People were like at ETH Denver, like, where are we meeting up? I'm like, what are we meeting up for? Like, we, we finished, we have nothing to talk about. We have, we're done. And obviously, until that moment, everyone had meeting up uh, like uh, virtually and also offline, like, you know, to just like chat about research topics, discussions, uh, but just to hang out too. And it was like a weird, unique mix of like old heads who are engineers excited about like user-facing infrastructure as well as like people who are excited about user-facing applications too, like the new cohort that came into crypto in 17 and 18. And it was like a weird mix. And it was like a, I think a pretty differentiated sort of like vibe and culture back then, which was all about like, let's do things quick. Let's have fun. Let's not take ourselves seriously, but also let's like focus on like creating interesting things for end users. And uh, when that happened, I realized it was a community and it like had emerged. 
And I was like, okay, I'm going to like dedicate some time to it. And before most people understand, like before Metacartel launched a grand scale, um, you know, like I, it was mostly me running through ideas of like, let's run an infrastructure, let's run a DAP accelerator slash incubator with James Young and Drew Harding back then. And no one, we didn't, that didn't go anywhere. We was like, next idea. It's like, let's run a, a foundation to fund UX infrastructure. That didn't go anywhere. Like no one wanted to fund us. We did no track record. We kind of like bums, honestly. Uh, there was no money anywhere. So it was just like ideas that like we threw on the dock and like, try to get off. Didn't, didn't really work. And this is 2019, um, you said? That's right, early 19. And I still couldn't find a job. So I kind of like, it wasn't, people, <laughs> people, people don't realize that it wasn't like me being like, oh shit, I have a vision for where things are going. I was like, I am literally, I have nowhere else to go. And I might <laughs> as well like, do something useful as long as I could. And yeah, you know, then we came across, after a few failed ideas, we saw Moloch Dow taking them off, right? And I saw that. And I was like, great, this is really useful. This is like actually a useful DAO. Coordinate capital, pull it, distribute it for grants only. Sounds like a great MVP. And I was like, can I join? <laughs> you know, I applied, put some money in. They rejected me because I was too poor and no one thought I was cool enough. So I was like, great. So, so wait, before, before this... Like, had you referred to MetaCartel as a DAO or was it no. just a, it was just a community? Community, highly opportunistic. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, we were just trying to be important, honestly. Yeah, I was like, mm. we were nothing and we're trying to be important, right? So a lot of faking it. Uh, but yeah, we, we saw the opportunity to become, launch a DAO like Moloch, but instead of like just providing capital and giving grants for projects in it, just like for core Ethereum development, we saw, hey, let's give out grants to fund end user applications, experiments on the application layer, and UX uh, advancements. And let's create a bit of a community around this, right? And that's the opportunity we saw. And it seemed like people needed it because like, why else would people gather around this weird dancing chili? FYI, I hated the chili logo because I felt like it like, it wasn't like very serious. And I was like, oh, okay, if I put my time into something that looks legit, <laughs> at least I can like, you know, go and say I did something like that was a bit buttoned up. Yeah. But no, it's like people like the chili a bit too much. So we had, and the name's Medicots Hill, so we had to go with it. Uh, but it seemed to, you know, create like an interesting like atmosphere, right? At least it's festive. But, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's festive. <laughs> uh, editor, please put. The chili on the screen at some point. Oh, no. <laughs> so you apply for the Moloch Dow grant and they reject you. What, what happens oh, no. after that? I was trying to join as a member. Oh. This is like worse. Yeah, no, I wasn't <laughs> asking for money. I was asking to give money and join oh, as a no. member to volunteer for free. <laughs> oh, man. So, and then how did that lead? So, same question. How does that end up with you living in the Spank Chain house in Venice Beach from Sydney, oh, Australia? Yeah. So it was a mean who actually like wanted me to join Molotov. Rejected you? <laughs> no, no, no. He was my champion, and everyone else rejected me. I, 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 I might even claim this is the. I, I might even be the first ever person to be rejected from an on-chain app. Damn. Like that's and I'm it's a go charity back and redo your intro. <laughs> <laughs> like this is a charity gal. I, I just don't understand. Like, I don't think you understand. Like, 
the insanity of rejecting. <laughs> uh, I thought it was ridiculous. Um, he, I mean, thought so too. And then he said, like, why don't you fork it and like do your own thing with Metacutsel? So I kind of did and um, raised a bit of money. Like it was like a hundred thousand dollars pulled together by a lot of people at, at, and organizations like Spain Chain, Gnosis, Matic, or now Polygon, The Graph, uh, like Griff Green, uh, like Martin uh, from the EF, a lot of great people. There's probably names I'm forgetting, but they all like just gave money, like very selflessly, like quite a lot of it to just form this thing. And I, but the thing is like, I was trying to get everyone to like focus on end user applications and like use the money to do something. I, I, I was purely focused on like getting stuff done at that point. I couldn't really care too much about DAOs. Everyone who actually came together to pull money were mostly interested in wanting to join a DAO because that back then there weren't any DAOs you could join. It was like Moloch, some DAO stack stuff, some Aragon stuff, but they were like ivory tower type experiments. Mm -hmm. it, was hard. it was unapproachable. People like Moloch had some hype, had some culture, some lore. It was exciting to see it happen. So, like, people wanted to be part of, like, the garage band version of that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah if you weren't cool, it was kind of like if you weren't cool enough to join Moloch or be invited or weren't rich enough to give 100 ETH away, you joined this. That was you the know? contribution. It was 100 ETH. That was Moloch back then. It was 100 ETH, and someone joined a 50 ETH, and people weren't happy with that. <laughs> you know. Damn. Yeah, uh, ETH was like a hundred bucks back then. Something. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. And so you know, Metacartel was like uh, ten ETH minimum, like to join, and then like so, yeah, um, and that was like two thousand bucks back then, right? It was still a lot, but it it wasn't like you know crazy, uh, you know, for crypto natives back then. Um, yeah, and you know, we just gave out grants. We funded stuff that was interesting to us as a group. And we use the grant to build a community of builders and um, overall, like, you know, and over 2019, this happened more and more until the point where it was sort of no longer sustainable for me, as in I was really just getting dead broke. Uh, and I needed to actually find something to, like, you know, um, like, like to convert the energy into something that like could actually uh, be sustainable or long lasting. And by that time, like Metacarto had actually built up a really uh, a bit more of a meaningful, you know, community of developers and founders back then for our grants and for the events we ran and so on. And we had this idea of like, why don't we launch a DAO that made investments instead of grants? And that's when, you know, me, a uh, few others, James Young, I mean, were talking about it very lightly. And then I had the opportunity of just like hanging out with a me in November and like October to November ish in 2019, which is like, I, I intended to visit LA for like a week or two. Uh, and he was like, yo, you should stay at the spank house. Like, this is where we live, like live Wells. It's great. It's right at a beach, like right there. <laughs> so it's like beautiful. Um, and I was like, I, to, I was like, cool, this is a great opportunity to work with me, blah, blah, blah. but I was also like, free rent. Yeah. How <laughs> was old like, are you at this time? We'll, we'll keep that under wraps. But <laughs> it, you know, like, it's, it's, um, you can, you can, you can have a guess, but it was, yeah, uh, a crash landed there, worked on Metacultural Ventures, the idea itself, I mean, it helped tremendously with code and 
to link up with Gabriel Shapiro to create the legal contracts. And it's a lot of back and forth. I was mostly just writing the white paper and like pulling everything together, coordinating, like thinking through the coordination, how things would work logistically from a community perspective and execution perspective. And yeah, like had uh, like an amazing fall slash summer, like just like, you know, working very closely there. And uh, yeah, I was like, that was definitely a time I was like living uh, at Airbnbs, uh, not Airbnbs, sorry, that would be a luxury. I was living at like hostels and like, yeah, like, staying at people's couches, um, things like that. Uh, like, it, yeah, it was like living at my mom's house, you know, like whenever I had to crash land, like uh, it was, yeah, it wasn't all that bad, but it was definitely like a period where I was like, I was just putting my heads down and thinking about how do we just ship, how do I just contribute to the space? How do I ship the next thing? How do I just ship the next thing? Right. And um, yeah, that's the story of my stay at Spike House, V1 at least. V1. So to paint a picture for you guys, the Spank, if you're not familiar with Spank Chain, it was like, I think they did an ICO in 20, 2017. Yeah, they did an ICO in 2017. It was for, you know, on-chain, well, not on-chain at the time, I don't think, but it was crypto porn payments and like cam, Web3 cam girl stuff. So this house that Peter is like crashing at, there's there's the spank chain stuff going on. There's also like cam girls <laughs> like shooting. There's a, there's a lot of stuff going on at the spank house. So he's, he's downplayed it a lot, but I'm sure it was a really interesting time. It was, it was actually pretty, like, lax. People were like, well, what, like, crazy shit happening? I'm like, no. We just, like, we we nerded out um, over DAOs and played a lot of video games, ordered a lot of Uber Eats, uh, <laughs> and uh, hung out. It was, like, pretty relaxed, actually. Did but, you yeah, or you did know. you not ever get on cam on Spank oh. Chain? <laughs> No, uh, if I did, it might have been like a demo thing. I'm like, hello, or like, <laughs> no, uh, but, um, it was pretty innocent stuff. The secret to how Peter got his start camming. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, I'm gonna teach everyone how to make a DAO. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's kind of like the we just had Shkrell, Martin Shkreli on uh, for an mm. interview. He was a guest before you, actually. And like, I was researching or trying to do some research on him. And he does these like six-hour streams on YouTube. That's so just like him like working. He's just at the office. And like every 15 minutes, he'll look at the chat and be like, oh, yeah, that's, that's true. And then he just goes back to work. And he gets like thousands of people that are watching it. It's crazy. So you could probably get your cam going. No one would care. <laughs> no one would care. <laughs> Uh, this is yeah. me researching on the internet <laughs> it'd just be me like scrolling like Twitter like Farcaster or just like reading about weird things of like oh like how did the you know like how did the like how did the cable news market <laughs> like evolve over the last three decades or something so yeah. it's super boring you know like yeah so you started MetaCartel, you turned that into a DAO. Um, how did that transition into 1KX and like everything you're doing now? Or like, what's the, what's the journey afterwards? Yeah, so we got the uh, investment DAO up and running. 
And we just started putting checks into teams that we grants funded uh, Metacouncil uh, grants down. And I honestly never intended to get into investing when we like launched the investment down. It was, I, I really just wanted to prove out that like any community out there online could really just like self-coordinate enough their way into a position where they could just fund the best of its own members. I just wanted to like prove that progression out. And at every step of all the journey, I had like kind of no clue what I was doing. I was like, <laughs> never looked at any sort of legal contract, never set up an entity before. First investment opportunity is like, didn't really know what an investment contract looked like. Uh, Gabriel Shapiro like did so much there, just to guide it, guide everything we did. Like, like, you know, it wouldn't exist without Gabriel and me, of course, but like he was critical there. Um, and it was just like feeling our way through, you know, and, and as we did more investments, coordinated the DAO, I just enjoyed the process. I really enjoyed seeing teams that were grants funded that I saw something special and go on and do bigger things, raise capital, build products that found users and traction. And that was pretty inspiring to me. And I just knew that I wanted to be part of that like journey. And I, I knew I wanted to do this, like, kind of like, <laughs> I wanted to do this basically forever slash a long time. I just knew this was, this felt right. This felt like a, you know, full circle, right? And I sort of looked around and like, looked for opportunities as in, I hit up all the investors uh, that I knew, such friends of and said like, hey, like, what does it look like to get into investing at that point? And... Uh, one KX was definitely one of the teams that, like, you know, uh, it was just like Chris and Lassa back then. Only those two, and Bethany was the head of ops before Henry, and they sort of they supported medical ventures by putting in small check. Um, they helped out with um, a few other things to do with medical events, but also they were the ones that pushed me to do the medical uh, not the medical the Wizard of Dax podcast, where I interviewed people uh, around the space building end Oh, I didn't know you did a podcast. Yeah, we did like um, fifty episodes. Um, something and competition <laughs> yeah uh you know uh <laughs> but yeah it's it no longer runs but did that but it was really their idea and just i think really great you know supporters uh, of mine and i was like uh, do you guys need help and then they're like yeah kind of and then all right, i'm like that's enough I, I went back and i like created the pitch deck pitching myself to join the team and i sent it over and that they're like, yeah, this looks great. Love to work with you. Let's figure something out. And that, yeah, that's history. And that's what I've been for the last three years. What's the bear market vibe in venture DAOs? You know, like how how's everyone feeling? So like, and I'll, to provide context, I don't know when you're watching or listening to this. You could be like 50 years in the future. Who knows? But right now we're we're in a bear market. Uh, sentiment is not great. Uh, we've we've got the ETF possibly being approved in October, people are like, yeah, maybe big deal, maybe not, I don't know. But like, that's basically where we are. So I guess it's, this seems like we're getting pretty close to capitulation at the levels that we saw like last time, basically. Like ETH isn't at $80 yet, but <laughs> it's, you know, I, I feel like we've in the past month, at least, I've seen more and more people just kind of leave or give up or change their sentiment. I know like a bunch of, Twitter, crypto Twitter people have been 
tweeting super doomsday-esque shit like like you really think that the the masses are going to come on board into this little schizophrenic corner of the internet or whatever (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what's what's the vibe in venture dows i mean just to that generally speaking right like i don't blame people who have that sentiment it's it's like the it's almost like it, it is like the rational thing to do it's like, <laughs> it's like, I actually don't blame people who leave crypto. It's like, it's kind of the rational thing to do. It's the logical thing to do. And you usually do it when you don't see there's like any upside or any future opportunities, right? I don't blame people who are in that position, right? They have shit to t- take care of. They might have a mortgage. They might have like a family take. They have other things, right, to think about. Um, but... I, I sort of think that it gets down to like, you know, are you, do you have sort of a vision for the space, you know, and can you see where it could go? Even if it's like a couple of leaps and downs, you know, a question mark on how to get there. And if you do, you usually, usually like, you know, I, I usually, at least from the last bear market, I usually found that the people who had a vision stuck around and the uh, other people that operated, you know, purely, you know, rationally in a way, um, kind of left. You know, no matter how smart they were, no matter how um, great they seemed, no matter how put together they seemed, you know, you kind of have a had to have a bit of a rational vision for the space. And I think you know that's now like coming back into play, like very fundamental, like questioning of everything. I sort of think that's great. That's fine, you know. Um, and at least for me, like I, I think you know, it's. So I, I don't have this like angle, like I don't like to, you know, like <laughs> just shut on folks who do leave or like have these fundamental doubts. I think it's but they abandoned us. It's okay. Just... It's okay. Well, you, you know, it's up to everyone else to sort of like build the right things and like, you know, uh, and and yeah, like pr- prove to the rest of the world that um, they were wrong, right? Uh, yeah. So I think in venture deals, it's most investment deals still have capital. They're just being careful with it. I'm usually the ones, uh, one on the sideline being like, deploy more, deploy more aggressively, like take more risk, uh, size up. And you just want to operate counter cyclically when Mm -hmm. there's more, when there's ambiguity in the air and there's uncertainty, how are people operating? They're conserving capital. They're being much more conservative. They're not taking on as much risk. You want to do the inverse. It's easier to say, but you need to, I think you have, you have to look for that moment of like, how does uncertain, what is the, how does it, it sort of have to sort of feel, feel it in a way of like, how uncertain is that like future and out, outlook of the space and the murkier it gets, that's usually when you have to just be disciplined and continue to actually double down and size up, invest more, take more risk and um, I think this is how, you know, like the, the, the like the future, this future gets built and outsized opportunities exist where like where people expect it less and the more bearish sentiment is around crypto and the more people overlook it for highly irrational reasons, the better the opportunity becomes and the better price it becomes. It's, it's just like, it's crazy to me that like, you know, the world, this like the world would ign- that people do ignore re- like fundamental technologies that could like 
create outsized benefits or has the potential of doing so just because some people have an uninformed opinion of it. And I think that's like an arbitrage. That's like, a, I think that's an arbitrage that, you know, is actually pretty uh, powerful, actually. And it, but, you know, in the moment, it just, if you look scary, it feels scary. It's highly uncertain, but um, you kind of have to remove yourself from that. Uh, at least I think if you're investing, you're building, you're just doing something in the space. You actually want to like think about like great like how do you plant even deeper roots? Are you familiar with the efficient market hypothesis? I'm sh- maybe <laughs> that like that's like a, something a VC should yeah it's like <laughs> uh, understand it's, it's like a tradfi it's definitely like an old yeah. school tradfi thing where they say that like the market is right ninety nine point nine percent of the time and um. The time that when you when you find a trade that's a winning trade, oh yeah, sure, yeah, like you, you have to you be confident. Yeah. yeah, you're you're right. You're right, and ninety nine point nine percent of the world is wrong. Um, so the yeah. chances of that happening are very low. And like, so when I heard about this, it kind of had an inverse effect on my uh, my confidence in my investments because now every time I think about something, I'm like, okay, like you know, there's blood on the streets. It's probably time to get in, but like. But am I right? Are 99.9% of the world wrong right now? I don't know if I'm that confident. This is kind of just like messed with my head a little bit. So it's really interesting to hear, um, or it's really comforting to hear, rather, uh, the the cyclical nature of venture downs, because that's definitely what I'm trying to do more with my personal general. Yeah. You know, Uh, just like... Even as a builder doing anything, building anything in the space, it's... uh, I I think you do have to like... I think it comes down to this. Like, if you're being hyper rational, you'll see every sign on the wall to leave. But like the you know everyone who stays usually like loves either loves what they do uh, much more than financial outcome. If not, have a vision of where it could go. And the more people overlook like where it could go, the greater the upside there is in realizing it. And I, I think, you know, I, I, I would just say, like, you know, heads down and just, like, get shit done and, like, keep moving, right? Like, and at the end of the day, it's, like, it's because you love the space that keeps you in it, not because of anything else. And that's, like, the only, like, thing that matters in a way, you know. Um, I don't know. It's also just, like, you know, from a pure builder and personal perspective, it's, like, where else would you go, you know? Um yeah, this is it for me. I was I was just I think I tweeted about this the other day, but I treated crypto like a rap career and started getting tatted as soon as I started making money. <laughs> so there's nowhere else for me to go. <laughs> you know, I've got hand tats. I'm either in crypto, I'm a musician, or I'm a line chef. Yeah, you know? it's kind of like I, I, I really about it, you know, and that's <laughs> it. that's it. It's like are you really about it? Like mm-hmm. I gotta be now. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> What would you say is, um, what are the key, okay, two parts of this question, actually. What, in your eyes, what are the differences between a venture DAO and a VC fund? And second part of the question is, what are you actively doing to create a culture in venture DAOs that is different from a VC fund? Assuming that you're going to tell me like, well, we don't, you know, we don't take the tokens and dump on. So actually, let me add more context to this question. What I'm really trying to get at is like, 
So a venture capital firm notoriously usually comes in, they get like pre-sale, pre-seed, whatever. They get a token allocation. It unlocks like a year, year and a half, two years later. And then they usually dump. Um, my question for Peter, for you, is like, is that essentially the same model as VentureDAOs? Or like, do you do you try to get more aligned with them? Or even more specifically, I'm sorry, this is now the fourth part of this question. But, but when investing in something like a game, um, when you're investing in a game, do you always be like, just, oh, give me tokens? Or do you take part like equity in the company? Or yeah, so I'm, if you could answer all four of those at the same time, that would be fantastic. Yeah, um, I mean, most venture capital firms are designed to have an investment period where you're deploying capital and then a harvest period where you're effectively, you have a timeline to sell out, sell off all the investments, right? To generate a return. And usually these periods are defined very, very tightly. Maybe they have like year by year, like extensions, but it's all pretty tightly defined. For investment DAOs, technically the investment period and harvest period are undefined. So you can technically have like far longer holding periods. Right. In a similar way, like one key X has been like designed that way, uh, in, in a similar structure, um, like Sequoia has the same structure as well, where you can make investments and you don't have a defined, a harvest period where you sort of operate, uh, with a, with, with, a, with a bit of a unique structure, but it comes with like, you know, um, all sorts of bells and whistles, uh, attachment, like it, it's a bigger accounting, night, like sort of overhead to run such a, uh, investment fund. Um, but you know, like, I think there's, that's a, probably a misconception of venture in general is that like every venture fund structure the same generally, yes, but there's some exceptions. And I would definitely say investment gals are part of that with regard, even, but in despite that, that doesn't mean investment gals can't sell or dump or act maliciously or operate short in a short-term fashion, just like every other VC that's up to the investment down each down by down and the investment policies as well. So I wouldn't like, I wouldn't attach behavior. I wouldn't couple behavior so closely with the underlying mm -hmm. operating structure. Yes. Structure. That's a very good answer. Meanings, but yeah, it's, it's very different case by case. There's venture funds that are very good and like, you know, um, often like hold multi-cycle uh, positions for cycles uh, for several cycles and only sell when there's a lot of liquidity. I think that's the thing. It's like, as a fund, like you buy low, sell high, but how you do it really like marks a stock difference between like funds that are harmful and funds are, that are actually like helpful and uh, have the cake and uh, leave a positive outcome, right? It's like, you wanna, as a fund, you generally wanna like exit positions when there's a lot of liquidity. You don't want to do it when there's no liquidity and destroy a market. You don't want to do, you don't want to exit positions immediately when they're liquid. You just mm. wreck the price. You know, you, it, there's like, there's right ways to exit positions and there's like wrong ways to exit positions. Do you have a uh, question within a question? <laughs> do you have the same fiduciary responsibility in a venture DAO that someone managing a venture capital fund might have? Or is it different because everyone is contributing and like, able to contribute their time as well. There's no f technical, like there's no technical, there's no same technical fiduciary duty in the sense that with venture capital funds, you're managing external capital, LP capital, right? We have to make the best financial decision for the LPs at all times. F 
for investment deals, everyone is a GP. Everyone is a member and equity owner of the entity. And there is no external capital. So you can make any decision you wish as long as there's community and collective buy-in. That's a, that's a cool like, uh, difference. That's really cool. That seems like a big improvement to me over the traditional model. You know, that way, like, because I'm thinking about how, like, you can, if I have a fiduciary responsibility only to my investors, I'm probably going to dump something as soon as liquidity is high and, like, token price is high. You know, I'm like, okay, I just need best return for my people right now. Whereas, like, if everyone is, you know, a partner, then everyone's also in a venture DAO. Chances are they're probably also, like, somewhat invested in the, you know, growth of the space in general, and they're going to want to hold on to things or... If I was trying to show you investment DAOs, that'd be like, yeah, like spot on. But that's the narrative. No. Like, I mean, like, not really. Like, there are f- like funds that are structured traditionally and in different ways that operate, you know, in a very founder friendly manner. They exist. They're not super common, but they exist. I've seen investment DAOs operate without the best interest of a project or founder. You know, it's at the end of the day, these are structures, the containers for humans and culture and people and operators. You can't separate. I think it's like you can't couple it, uh, you know, so much. Funds, structures, entities, they're all like tools to achieve, um, a, you know, greater goal. And it depends on how people use them. From your personal experience, would you say you've run into more good actors than bad actors? In venture DAOs in general? If I had to be, again, intellectually honest, not necessarily. I think, you know, um, sometimes like professional uh, investors, aka funds, you know, have a far longer investment period, especially funds that are set up to harvest like a Hmm. 10 year fund effectively, where your investment period is like, is three years and then you have a seven year harvest. That's actually like far longer of a time horizon for many, than many investment DAOs. And sometimes those investors are preferred from 1KX perspective because they have a long liquidity profile, like, like a long-term liquidity profile. Whereas some investment gals, they might run out of cash and they needed exit positions. And, um, you know, like traditional funds uh, sometimes set up to disincentivize that because they would have to pay out carry. They can't recycle capital perhaps, right? So it's not always so straightforward, I would say. Interesting. So you're saying that there's there's not really like good guys and bad guys. There's just good and bad people on either side. Exactly. <laughs> essentially, the the moral of One Piece. <laughs> I just finished watching last night. I was watching the Netflix live action uh, One Piece yesterday. So that was really, you know, there's there's good pirates and there's bad pirates. There's good Marines and bad Marines, you know, it's just people and circumstances. Cops and good cops. Yeah. That's super quick tangent, but that's, I've been on a really big, uh, that's a lie. I'm not on an anime kick. I'm a nerd and have been on an anime kick for the past like 30 years. But like, that's one of the reasons why I like anime is because I don't know what it is about Japanese culture, but like in the U S it's all like, there's a hero and like the hero is the good guy and there are bad guys and we got to fuck the bad guys up, you know? But in all the anime, it's like, oh, there's not really a good guy and a bad... Like, this good guy's going to do some really messed up shit in two seasons. You know? <laughs> like, there's just people in circumstances. And people do different things in different circumstances. 
And that's my anime right yeah. <laughs> it's it's how it works. It is what it is, right? Like I, I you know, I just um I think like people like to like push narratives that are sometimes a bit far too obtuse uh as sort of a representation of actual reality. So speaking of obtuse narratives, something that kind of like it annoys me, but it doesn't annoy me enough to do anything about it is uh, the amount of like theory crafting about DAOs online and blogs. And like, <laughs> I guess as a long-term operator, um, do you share this annoyance or like, what do you do? Does it not phase you at all? Or what do you think about like all these sort of like flowery, kind of theories around like how things should run versus how things actually run when you're, you know, in the trenches holding other people's money and <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, when DAOs became cool for a while, it was a bit weird to like, see like random influences pop up, like doing threads about DAOs and, and me being like, where the fuck did you come from? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, and, and I was like, there was definitely a period of like, the fuck is going on? It's like this, who are these randoms? Like, you know, and, yeah. and they're like masquerading experts, people are building DAO tools. I'm like, you've never even been in one. And that like, I, I knew everyone who was in it, mostly in a part of these DAOs for a while. And Yeah such as hype cycles, right? So, it, yeah, it's a, basically the, the, the lesson of the internet is like, don't trust anyone, trust yourself. Uh, most people are bullshit artists. Yeah. Find out the ones who aren't and stick with them. I think the problem is kind of that you get people like you and I who are non-technical, who sometimes come into the space and instead of like trying to contribute their way into it, they're just like, let me just get as much attention as I can as possible. And the way to do that is to just like put out these complex flowery hypothetical takes on how like coordination online should work. I think the con. Man. <laughs> really? Like, yeah. I think that's, <laughs> it's straight up con artist behavior. I, I, I don't. Yeah. Like I, I, I guess. I, so I, I kind of agree with you, but to play devil's advocate here, what's the difference between that and the sort of like fake it till you make it mentality that like you even implied with Metacartel, not implied, applied. Well, we weren't trying to masquerade as experts. You know, I think you, you like, first of all, it's like, it's about intellectual honesty uh, in a way. Like, I think a lot of the faking what to, to, till we make it sort of stuff with Metacartel was like, it was like, you know, running an event, you know, about end user applications and, calling it a demo day when it was just community members. Yeah. <laughs> you know, presenting the, you know, the demos and projects, right? Like and, and you know, trying to make it feel important and, and trying to like make uh like other people's work feel valuable. I think this is like um as opposed to what I'm referencing a lot of, you know, it's just it's misdirection in a way. It's making it's kind of like making shit up. And then, yeah. you know, I would say, uh, I don't know, like pretending it's not made up. I don't know. There's, there's a nuance there, but I, I, I think it's like this fake is fake it till you make it versus gaslighting. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> a good way of putting it. I, I, I think, you know, 
So I, I have no pity or no, this is where I don't have any patience. I just think that sort of behavior is like straight up con artist behavior. Um, and, you know, we saw a lot of that with NFTs, right? It's like people were like, oh, I, I spent 20 years in entertainment. This is my, like, I'm an ex NFT expert. It's like, um, I'm going to directly, you know, I'm probably going to directly call people out, but, you know, like, it'll be great for my numbers. <laughs> but there's people who I'm like, oh God, they're dead to me. I have never even met them, but like, I, I, they move on to some other trend and I like, I follow the account sometimes just to like, just to, you know, feed the anger in a way. Like all the but, people uh, who switched over to AI. <laughs> I see. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I, I see ooh, a name ooh. on the tip of your tongue there. <laughs> <laughs> this is the type of you know. I, look, here's the thing: I am like, I am a very vindic vindictive individual. Like, I just <laughs> you'll find that out. Like, it's all good. We don't we don't have to dive into dive into specific names. Um, but no, I feel the same. It's funny because I assumed that Amin would have a similar response, uh, as you and I do to people kind of like posting these random bullshit, like Dow theory craft things. And, but to him, I was like, what, I was like, does it ever bother you? You know, as one of the founders of Moloch Dow to see all this stuff about Dow's that is like so far away from anything that you've ever really worked on even, you know, like, or what do you think about this? And he's like, no. Because to me, it's just the proliferation of the idea. And I don't care what stupid shit people make up to justify it, as long as the idea is still going. And I was like, that's probably the healthiest way <laughs> to view all this. Don't get me wrong. I like when people experiment and do new things. I think that's great. <laughs> I've seen you post a lot lately online about blockchain games. Uh, and you posted a couple blogs. Is there any blockchain game that you've both invested in that you are also playing right now or that you have played and enjoyed playing it? Nothing I've actually, uh, we've invested in uh, for 1KX so far is actually live. So that's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a work in progress. Like, um, but one, you know, an example of a great on-chain game, like at least like before even that, like I'm, uh, I think like games that just leverage NFTs and tokens alone are great. They'll find their own, you know, like, There'll be there'll, there'll be successes uh, amongst that, right? But I, I'm just not convinced of fully leveraging the full possibilities of blockchains. And what I'm much more interested in are games that are fully on chain, focus on either financialization or either focus on composability as a core value prop to create uh, worlds that are decentralized slash as ownerless as possible, and. I think that's where the design space is. And, you know, really great example of this is, in my opinion, Words Free. This is a game built by Small Brain Games. It's, you know, a game. It's basically Words of Friends, but financialized. And it's quite amazing in the sense that for the first time ever, you can create, like, meaning. there's, like, meaningful, interesting social and financial outcomes that result. Uh, in a very unique game loop that's never been seen before, but derived from um, a game that everyone knows 
can play immediately understand and is widely adopted. And I think like, you know, this, like, that's a really amazing, great example of like how you can use a blockchain to create new games that are easily 10x better, 20x better. Like words are free, words free, uh, the recent round that just happened with the launch of base. In my opinion, as someone who plays a lot of Scrabble, Words of Friends, word games, it's a 20x better uh, word game. I was playing it a bit too much throughout <laughs> the work week, you know, and um, I, I, I think like that's a really interesting direction. It's just like putting game state, like certain taking existing, you know, uh, game loops that aren't typically financialized and putting them on chain, creating like on chain, uh, like using on chain to create financial outcomes and social composability, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I think you have a easily better product. And I think like uh, portfolio project Playmint is taking the other side of this where Playmint, the fo- Playmint yeah. They're building a game called Downstream where they're focused on being a developer platform uh, from day one, where the first 100 you know, users are aiming to be developers. Well, it's meant, um, they'll share more details on this soon. I can't share a bit too much, but it's structurally designed to uh, serve developers first and once uh, to effectively populate gameplay content and to create incentives for developers to build on top of it, creators to build on top of it, and ideally result in a landscape of really weird and strange content that would never exist and would never be produced by a single centralized studio. And we've made another investment into Citadel, which at, you know operates on the same thesis. Um, and can you talk I, to me yeah. a little bit more about what that? looks like so like for someone who's not familiar with you know what composability means for example like what you talk when you're saying that you want you're interested in people who are building these different composable pieces like what does that mean so much yeah i I think it means a lot because you know when it comes to designing games it's one of the hardest areas of design because you're not designing for solution you're designing for fun you're designing to satisfy the need for someone to feel powerful, the need for someone to socialize, the need for someone to explore, right? And the need to kill time and the need to almost just feel a bit human, right? And there's so many different ways you can design around this. And it's so hard to build a game as a, as a result. And it's so hard to predict what games will work. It's so hard to predict what content will work. And... The, the games industry is just like hyper-optimized around existing game loops, predictable loops at work. That's why you see like Harry Potter mobile game reskinned. It's just like all games that are reskinned from each other with different IP. That's like what the games industries have devolved down into. And it all comes from this like the, the this like incredibly tough hit rate of new content. And you've found you've seen like uh, with Fortnite uh well, maybe not Fortnite, but like Roblox is a really good example. Minecraft is a really good example. And eventually now Fortnite, they've all been centered around user-generated content, which really novel end user and end play experiences are generated from just the creativity of really brilliant, smart people that you can never predict uh, or, or forecast coming into existence uh, otherwise, right? And I think that's why you go use something uh, from or enjoy something, anything, right. From whether it's a game or a piece of content, it's because it's like, it's a, it's, it makes you feel something and experience something that you would have never 
uh, you, you can't find it anywhere else or you would have never expected to experience. And that's like the definition of a powerful experience. And I think, I believe it's more likely that these, the next set of like the most powerful experiences or more meaningful experiences or fun experiences, whatever you want to go for, will likely come from the masses and from the community, not a single studio hyper-optimizing for commercial success. It's going to come from indie developers. It's going to come from like the like people who just hack stuff together, right? But what Minecraft, what Roblox does is provide a shared set of physics in which to make meaning of each other's creations. That's Minecraft. Or Damn, shared social That's a layer, really interesting way to Roblox. put it. It's kind of like a universe in that sense, you know, like we have the laws of physics. Uh, that's yeah. crazy. There's, there's different ways to create that composability. And you know, for the first time ever, you can like permissionlessly with the idea of ancient games and autonomous worlds, hence autonomous, right? Um, create initial uh, game, like, uh, you know, like initial smart contracts that define the rules and the boundaries of the world that openly and directly encourage people to extend on top of it. And this comes with implications with monetization. You have to take on like radically different sort of a, a different way of thinking about value cruel. You think about go to market very differently. You think about everything very differently. And I think it's a new way to build a game. It's just like when, you know, before there was the internet, it's like you could only play like single play games or maybe like an arcade, you like play like Street Fighter with each other, right? But the idea of like massive, uh, you know, like MMOs or like, uh, massive multiplayer online games really changed this. It's like, you can now play games of anyone on the internet. That was like, you know, Ultima Online, stuff like that, Raph Costa, they like change what it means to create games. And I think, you know, it was just, it came with the invention of like, you know, uh, the internet. And I think like the blockchain is a very different, you know, substrate to host a very different type, to a new set of, you know, behaviors and interactions that, you know, we will, we've never really properly fully explored. And I do think like there's a lot of stuff in crypto that will find success. Find, I find fascinating as well, like IP, the create economy, DAOs, you know, like virtual agents. I, 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 you know, I spend a lot of my time here, but I do think that the autonomous world design space is definitely by far the space that is going furthest on the consumer and application layer in fully leveraging the blockchain to the fur to, to the deepest and furthest extent. Like I think, you know, uh, you can build a lot of consumer applications by just using NFTs and that's great. And you can like stop, it's like, you know, you can sort of like, you know, plant a flag at that stage of the tech tree, you know, and create and look back and like wrap, you know, everything uh, behind that stage of the tech tree into something meaningful and can like, you know, I think you'll, you'll find a lot of success in doing that. But I think, you know, which group or which design is, is looking to push uh, the tech tree of crypto, you know, the first. And, and it's by far the space. Um, and I think that's the exciting thing. It's like we're kind of exploring, like, what it means to design a new type of game or new type of world as well. So out of the two companies that you mentioned, you mentioned Playmint and Citadel, are they both working on this sort of like autonomous uh, ecology? Like they're making their own worlds, essentially like on-chain 
creative mode in Fortnite is kind of what I'm picturing when you talk about this. Is that accurate? I would say that it depends. But I, so Fortnite, I, I, I would say it's a bit more like Minecraft. I think mm-hmm. like, you know, like Fortnite is a great example of like sharing a social layer and more so with like, you know, the community servers, like they've shared, they're sharing a bit more physics. Like people are now playing like, you know, hungry games, uh, using the Fortnite sort of like game mode now. The design is cool. Really, like, it's actually quite fun. <laughs> are you playing <laughs> Fortnite yeah, yeah, right now? <laughs> that's, I'll, that's a big I'll, part I'll of it. I'll download it. <laughs> nice. Uh, I, that's the thing, like I, I do, it's like, you, you have to understand like, what is just like, what are good products? Mm. What, what is it, you know? I play, I play I play Fortnite. I play Roblox. I play a bunch of games like Genshin Impact. I, I, I like I let my I, when when I get ads on Instagram, I like click into the ads and like I kind of like take note on what the funnel looks like. Mm-hmm. I buy it. <laughs> I, I like yeah. let myself convert. You know, I just to see what it looks like. Um, but yeah, I, I I think like the best analogy really depends on the game. Honestly, like that's the thing about games is that like there's so many. Uh, models you can pick from and build analogies off and but it, it's always gonna I, I think like you know until the space becomes a bit more established it's always gonna be explained through like examples until the next you know uh, the the next uh, thing that works becomes the example itself right what is the the end product that these companies are shipping yeah so the end product is a set of contracts that work to facilitate a game world, to end users, it's a game, you know, that has incredible depth of content that, you know, is vibrant um, and multifaceted far more than most games. I think, like, in, at the end of the day, it still comes to, like, with end consumers and end players, it still comes to content and how fun it is and how good of a game it is. And I think, like, you know, Autonomous Worlds gets there by fostering, like, open source creativity to the max. That's super cool. When are people going to be able to start building on some of the stuff? A lot of teams are shipping this November. Oh, damn. Kind of at, like, a point where most teams are shipping the first versions, life, or, like, the beta lives. And, so, yeah. Out of these upcoming projects that are shipping in November. Is there any particular one that you're especially excited about? Is this I must like trying say to pick that, your favorite child? Yeah, <laughs> it's a bit like that. Um, Top three. I'll, I'll reframe the question. I will... There's a lot of games that I do play. You can look at it browse all, all of this on chain. Um, well, for, I, I tweet about this. It's not a, it's like a, <laughs> it's not a hidden secret, but um, I'm, I'm pretty excited to keep playing word games. Uh, like it's been my favorite so far, you know, like that's because I'm a words game player. Like I, I play a lot of word games. It's my favorite genre by far to play like out of most content. If I want something simple, at least casual, hmm. um, I am excited about. I'm excited about like uh, you know like what these initial worlds look like, 
when you just throw a bunch of devs on it, uh, like when you just like direct a bunch of develop attention on, uh, onto them with the right incentives, with the right uh, like set of plays as well. I, I, I think there's just, yeah, I think there's a bit too much to be like to, to spotlight uh, any it. single set of games. I would say like, well, actually, because I played it and I really enjoyed it so far. So mm-hmm. say, I'm, 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 you know, uh, Catch me in the next words free round. You know, I'll jump on. We can compete. Yeah. We kind of talked a little bit earlier about like the different. I don't want to call them styles, but like let's different structures of, like blockchain games. You know, where you have like the completely on-chain games versus the games that maybe only have their economy on-chain and the game engine lives on a like centralized server somewhere are there like how how do you break these games what are the categories of blockchain games to you in reality you can like se- separate you know on chainness versus off chainness but i f- if you want to be again like a bit more intellectually honest it's just like what sort of it, it, you should really be dividing a lot of these uh, areas of crypto up by just and consumer audiences and end products you're trying to serve. And you may have, you know, like a fantasy MMO that's like a bit half, uh, half on chain, half off chain. The off chain, like half off chain version might be focusing a bit more on just like creating a bit more of a polished product early on. The on chain slash the on Thomas Worlds edition might be focusing on creating radical sort of open source. Uh, developer incentives to extend the top. These are just like two different routes and orders of operation, right? So like you can create a Web 2.5 game and once it's supported, you can, you know, open up developer APIs or even perhaps launch a fully on-chain version of the game. But that would potentially require you to rethink your monetization, restructure it. If it's a hit game, you're unlikely to do that, you know, uh, whereas the Thomas Worlds version, like a core thesis of the Thomas Worlds version is, is, is really like letting developers and your ecosystem accrue value instead of just take, purely taking all of it for yourself, right? So mm-hmm. the Web 2.5 mentality, let's say, would be let's create our own marketplace for secondary market like trading about in-game items. And the Thomas Worlds, like, if you really want to lean far into that philosophy, it's actually let's have our community members build that one place and launch it and promote it. And because they created marketplace and players are using it, they get to build a business, you know, off the world that we created and they get to proliferate. They get to take a bit out of it and also give back to it. And, you know, it's just like a different philosophy and you have to figure out a different way to monetize value, keep the Mm -hmm. game sustainable, the world sustainable, right? It's, um, you know, building a business so much as, trying to really almost like kickstart something that lives on really forever. That's super cool. Are you, how far away do you think we are from uh, like a ready player one esque future? And how often do you get asked that question? No one's ever asked me that for a while. Really? Since another first thing, you know, crashed and died a little bit, but well, I'm still uh, a believer, you know, <laughs> me too. Me too. Uh, two and a half years. Two and a half? Yeah. Damn. That's a lot quicker than I was expecting. I was expecting like, you know, 10, 15, 20, maybe. Like that's... I I think that... I truly believe there's a lot of exciting things happening in crypto and autonomous worlds. And the beauty about it is that everything's open source. It's all transparent. 
and people it may seem like there's not a lot happening but there's a lot of experiments being launched simultaneously at the moment things start to work patterns start to emerge people are very good at learning from each other and that's a thing to not underestimate there was like in the bottom of the bear last cycle some you know i was talking to someone on twitter they took i i you know i had this prediction of like you know <laughs> this is like 2019 i was i, I you know after witnessing the grand cell operator for a bit i was like i i kind of have this feeling this is going to be pretty useful <laughs> for a lot of people <laughs> it seems like it, it theoretically does um i i said you know and i had this prediction of like okay and like DAOs at least in the next year will be widely circulated as a, known as buzzword we're going to see a bit more and then within the next two three years we're going to just like see um that like people launch uh, like launch DAOs and all DAO like structures and to find near main like sub mainstream adoption and within five years we're going to see you know uh, the mass public participate in them and so like that timeline is still yet to be fully played out and we're probably falling uh, falling a bit short on like the five-year vision but i think um i think we always underestimate how powerful the zero to one moment is and how difficult it is to get from one to ten or to a hundred like it's actually zero to one moments are incredibly powerful and they seem like the imaginations of a lot of people we just haven't gone there for a lot of crypto like the the newer areas of crypto right but when it does it's it's just like energy and participation like i think people uh have will, will never really see before uh, but obviously like the one to ten to hundred that's like a far more difficult like path and that's usually underestimated usually you know when you go from zero to one it looks like you've like found you, you've discovered something incredibly important and you may have been working on it for a long time and people have like maybe doubted for a long time and it's now finally finding validation. So you sort of like, and it looks a bit like a straight up vertical line of progress. But what people mistake is that this is just a zero to one phase, so zero to one to three phase. And it's not always vertical, you know, uh, from three to four to 10 to 100. It's actually, you might even go back, the progress might even take, you might take five steps back before you take another 10. And the, the journey is a bit like, it's less linear than people think. And so like, I think that's a common like sort of, um, misdiagnosis or like, you know, state of mind, I, I think you can get when you spend so much time in the zero to one phase is that you just project and think that the zero to one progress as it happens, is going to just like be, it, it, you know, you can just like sort of make a projection from zero to hundred based on that. And that's what a lot of crypto does. Like you find a zero to one thing and it's like, this is really exciting. We made so much progress in six months, you know, yeah. or yeah, we're parabolic. And, <laughs> yeah, but there's a parabolic, right? But no, it's actually like a bit, uh, it's a bit more complicated than that. And so I, I do think like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to see a lot more. We're, we're definitely going to get back to that stage where, um, where it looks not back to, but I definitely think we're going to see something like ready play one, like stuff like that. Um, maybe not in the version that people in, imagined or wanted to. Uh, but it's not that far off. Uh, it's just like, <laughs> it's like when you ask your mom for McDonald's and she's like, no, we've got McDonald's at home. Like we've got ready player one at home. All right. <laughs> yeah. We kind of, we kind of already have that. If you look at it, like kind of already here, 
One more question for you, and then we'll go into our, our final section, which is the rapid fire end section. Um, super high, high stake, rapid fire, intense, high pressure situation. You got to prepare yourself for. <laughs> but um, so I'm, you're... I'm, I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> I've got like five questions. And they're pretty easy. I think you'd be good. Um, but you're you're a gamer, right? Like you've you've yeah. always been a gamer. Yep. There's a pretty big divide uh, between gamers who are into crypto and gamers who are not. And it's like a pretty aggressive divide, you know, like they're very anti-crypto, anti-NFT. Uh, like I think we just saw with like Mr. Beast Creator League yeah, that he was crazy. doing. Yeah, you know, there was a, a gamer that backed out mm -hmm. after like he discovered that there was like NFTs included in it somehow. Yeah. Um, do you see any validity at all in their concerns their concerns being like oh like we play games for fun and we don't want to financialize them because that'll ruin the fun i don't blame them you know everything they've learned about and have been associated with crypto has just been mostly scams and it's in a way it's like not untrue that like sure like you're working of a company that's built on crypto maybe you're not even like serving your product that's built on crypto but in a way like the game of crypto have always been about like make money for insiders, have, you know, hidden incentives, hidden incentives that are laid, uh, like abstracted behind like various, like, you know, ways that aren't super obvious to end consumers. Right. And I, I sort of think like consumers aren't like inherently st like stupid in a way. Like I think crypto people often like make end consumers, like, like they make, I think like crypto people like typically underestimate end consumers a little bit and, it's, you know, I, in the way that, um, in the sense that, like, I think it's less about the tech and more about, like, inherent, like, incentives that are baked in. It's like, if you're working for blockchain companies, like, you're more like, there's a big open question to how they'll, like, benefit from you uh, in getting involved. You know, in a way, it's like, if I'm, you know, like, buying, if I'm using software and I know that this company, you know, is making a living building a business off a SaaS subscription model. I know, I understand the inherent incentives attached to that. I think for most consumers, they're seeing a new type of entity that all they associate with are scams. And they don't, at this stage, they don't even know what to make out of it. And, you, and I think, you know, another example is just like with Reddit. It's like Reddit introduced these uh, avatars that are NFTs. Like, no one really showed that people who throw a fit, but not really. Because why? The incentives weren't super fucked up, you know, and they were pretty, it was pretty clear of what they were. And I think when you hide the fact that it's crypto in a way, and yes, associated with crypto, there's all these like question marks. And I, I don't blame people if they like, you know, have a pretty knee-jerk reaction to it. It's interesting and not what I expected uh, from it. I tend to like knee-jerk back at them. You know, <laughs> so you have a much more intelligent and mature response, I think. And it makes sense. You know, if you don't understand the incentives, you kind of, you know, that's not my Ponzi. You know, like I like. Exactly. <laughs> totally. Know? Exactly. It's like, that's not my Ponzi. I'm not going to participate in that. I don't. Yeah. You know, and I do think that's something crypto needs to like. Th that's a fundamental issue of crypto is like just because you can have like ownerless computing right, or decentralized networks, you know, 
doesn't and and you know the ability to financialize everything because everything has like digital property rights doesn't mean everything should be hyper financialized as well. I think like um, Justin uh, Glovit from Lattice had a really good analogy of like ownerless computing is like gunpowder. You can either like use gunpowder to make guns to shoot people and kill each other, but also protect one another, like sure. But or you can use gunpowder to make rockets or fireworks. You know, like you can use ownerless computing to create very interesting, you know, to create technology with really interesting properties, such as like composability and openness and transparency. And I think, and even fair incentives. But, you know, the lines blow of like hyper financialized Ponzi schemes with fair incentives, like uh, fair incentives for developers of populated world. It's like, that's where does the line draw? Can you separate the two? I think it's a kind of, it's kind of a blurry line. Maybe, um, Maybe both are useful, like both sides of the coin, same coin, right? So, um, yeah, it's it, it's that's where I think the nuance lies. Interesting, very interesting. Well, Peter, I've I've had a great conversation with you. This has been awesome, and probably the longest we've ever talked in our two three years of <laughs> knowing each other. Sure. Um, so I want to go into the final section of this time will be different the rapid fire question section. Uh, how have you finished your beer? Not really. Let's show it. To, let me see what we're working with here. Ah, oh, fuck's sakes. We'll <laughs> <laughs> drink a little bit. God damn, man. What, what's going on? You know, I'm trying to bring your guard down so I can ask you. <laughs> but the idea is, is that like, I slowly get you drunk throughout the conversation. And then when I get you into the rapid fire questions, you know, your guard is down. I, you're more I, relaxed. I should have just like poured, like before I showed you, like poured, poured some on my floor. Just like <laughs> your, on your cat or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's kick it off. First question. What is your most significant win in crypto? Financially, not like 1KX hired me. Like, you know, like I, I put $500 into this stupid thing and it was yeah, this stupid thing. Um, I bought a punk at like, like $10,000. Nice. Did you sell it? No, <laughs> no. I, 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 lo I love my punk a bit too much. I didn't even know you had a punk. You have a punk and you don't use it as your PFP or anything. It's just like a casual flex. <laughs> I, like I kind of like my squiggle, squiggle a little bit too much still at the moment. It's so. a good squiggle. Yeah. I forgot how many NF I forgot how deep into NFTs you were and that you have like a squiggle and a punk and everything. You're you're about about it. You're not one of the, Dude, the observers. Check out my on-chain address. It's fucking popping. <laughs> <laughs> your your DGen score is really up there. I, the the stuff I care about a, a lot more with my NFTs is like less the like buying high value assets, but like I love collecting like stuff for free that are highly scarce, like writing NFTs or random music NFTs or like random collectibles or random pops. I love these a lot more than like I'd rather like lose my high value ones than like the stuff I can't even buy. So like I <laughs> if you look at my address, it's always just like super random stuff. It's like it's yeah. Um, Do you have an ENS? Yeah, um, it's my username dot ENS. Uh, it's my username dot ETH. Oh, I actually completely forgot to ask you: Is Peter Pan your real name? Pass. <laughs> <laughs> um, biggest loss in crypto. 
Remember I told you about like buying one coin of everything? Yeah. That was like that from a relative loss that that might have been biggest loss. Damn. That's a pretty good track record, honestly. If that was your biggest loss, that's pretty damn good. I've lost a lot of money. <laughs> In this industry. Like, In like a single trade. What what is the stupidest thing I bought that lost a lot of Thankfully, I, I wasn't that into NFTs when it blocked. <laughs> like, I, I was kind of safe from that. Um, but yeah, I, I don't do, I don't, I'm not that, I don't trade much. Hmm. Um, I don't trade tokens or I don't really trade anything. Like, I don't, I like to collect. It's like a the, real builder. I buy stuff, but it's always like, I'm, I don't, like, I, here's the thing. I don't have the attention span to, like, track something for more than, like, I just don't. And it always ends in like uh, me being like, oh shit, I, I missed the mint. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like something like that. Yeah. Okay. What, beside, not including the conferences that you've thrown, what's the best crypto conference you've been to? ETH Berlin 1. In what year was it? I missed it. Best. Uh, Crypto event I've been to today. Better than your events? In a different way. <laughs> With the, like, because it's in Berlin. <laughs> Is that why it's better? <laughs> <laughs> Pass. Uh, <laughs> a favorite song of the summer. What have you listened to the most in the past three months? Oh, shit. Like, Are you consulting the data? I, I well, I, I've been so I'm not maybe not the summer, but I, I found this vi video um, a couple of days ago, and it's been kind of stuck in my head. Send bit. me the link. I'll, oh, I got it. I sent you. Uh, all right, I'm not going to look at what it is. I'm just going to share my yeah. screen, and we're going to experience it together. <laughs> all right, it's it's real good. It's gonna. Do you have a car? No. <laughs> okay, so when you're when you're walking around <laughs> Lisbon, <laughs> is this what's going on in your headphones? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you know, I I learned something new about music today. Um, Okay. In fact, the the song has network effects. Like the long, the more you listen to it, the better it gets. I'll go back right after this. We can look. It has one point eight billion views. It, it, billion? It doesn't? Yeah. <laughs> oh damn! I want to see a chicken song made with artificial. There's an AI version. Amazing. I'll send that. this link to you too. 
hey, that can go in the decrypts AI section. It's yeah. Like... There you go. <laughs> um, okay, next question. What person, dead or alive, would you invite to dinner? Anyone. Anyone you could ask. Eric Andre. <laughs> <laughs> he's that funny he's a man of um depth what can i say damn also unexpected i was expecting you to say someone like like intellectual okay last i know you said you weren't much of a trader but last shit coin you bought Um, I've been buying Frentech uh, stuff. That counts. Frentech shares count. Who's they the last Frentech share? They all went down. <laughs> I bought um, my friend uh, Kenny. Kenny Rose share. I bought one of his shares. I don't think I have any of your shares. He's a, he's a friend, so, you know, it's like, hey, buy one for 50 bucks. Yeah, you gotta do it sometimes. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, What's your friend tech share price right now? Sorry, key price. I don't know. Like builders don't look at the price. Right here, you have it. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's not loading for me. It's not oh. been very good. All right. <laughs> Next question. Uh, last transaction in your wallet, not including friend tech. You're the um, first person that's gone, gone to check. Everyone just like makes something up on the spot. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> no, I'm gonna go check right now. <laughs> uh, I'll go to my like NFT activity, right? So I minted uh, my Flasmo meter from the Blip Maps community. I have no clue what it is, but <laughs> hey, it's free. I thought you were gonna say like, "Oh, I minted that that free NFT that Vitalik just tweeted out." <laughs> <laughs> before then some uh generative art before then some writing nfts on the thomas worlds before then i was buying some uh pokemon cards on courtyard uh you can do that on chain yeah you can buy physical like, pokemon cards on chain yeah yeah do you have uh, a big pokemon card collection no i started building it more recently before then i bought a virtual girlfriend on chain uh, belonging the lo- yeah that's right the nfc uh, waifu <laughs> yeah and i've been making it angry on purpose i was like really angry and fearful can you get it to photos yeah. of fun inverse I, mean, I have a wife i don't need a woman to treat me angry and fearfully yeah so like bunch of uh bunch of random stuff yeah this is the wallet of a collector a connoisseur. Yeah, it's, yeah, check it out. I will, I'll check it out. Um, so, Peter, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, where can people find you? Where can people stay up to date on what you're doing and all that fun stuff? Um, probably on x.com. Ooh. x.com slash Peter Pan. P-E-T-3-R Pan. It's a good name. Yeah, um, yeah that's uh, we're mostly uh, reachable. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and I will, I will talk to you soon.